coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, now let me set the scene for you. By the way, happy Thursday. <laughs> Over to my left, I've got the Braves game on. Uh, and, and if by the time you're listening, the game's probably over unless it somehow went into extra innings, which honestly wouldn't surprise me. It's a tight score right now, but uh, <laughs> this is torture. We have day games to start the season. First three games, although the, the they're off tomorrow, so I don't have to you know combine work with watching the Braves. This is, this is torture, though. Opening day is almost always on a weekday, and we have to work, and... I, I have a job and a show to produce, and this is torture. Uh, happy opening day to you, though. Hopefully, uh, you're, you know, maybe working from home yourself. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And you've got, you know, the TV on mute so that any Zoom calls you're doing <laughs> won't pick up the audio and the boss won't know that, you know, you're watching the Braves. Well, I can freely admit that I am watching the Braves. I am my own boss, thankfully. And, uh, so I've gotten most of my uh, business work done and working on the show now. Uh, our guest later today, I've been waiting to get this guy on for quite a while. Uh, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, in fact, I met him for my birthday uh, early in the day. He started the day with uh, he and I at a Starbucks in Midtown and a couple of coffees and just chewing the fat for like an hour and a half, two hours or so. His name is King Williams. He is an Atlanta-based uh, journalist and podcaster, documentarian. You can find uh, his documentary. He says it's a work in progress, like he continues to build on it there uh, on YouTube. It's called The Atlanta Way. You can follow The Atlanta Way at The Atlanta Way on Twitter. You can find King Williams on Twitter as well at I am King Williams. Uh, the documentary tackles gentrification in Atlanta and the eradication, complete eradication in the 1990s of public housing uh, within the city of Atlanta. He also, of course, has his own podcast. Uh, uh, called Watch the Hood at Watch the Hood and uh, the King Williams Show at K Williams Show on Twitter as well. Looking forward to having him on. So, uh, Sunny Die, last day of General Assembly session for the year 2023, wrapped at midnight last night. We managed to dodge uh, the latest iteration of a school voucher bill. Surprised. I guess in some respects that that vote wasn't even all that close in the house. I mean, there was a 10 vote margin also surprised that immediately after that vote, the speaker of the house welcomed one Brian Kemp, governor Brian Kemp into the house. And I just knew for sure they, they, they re they recalled the, the, the SB 233, by the way, so that they could uh, perhaps bring it up at some other point. They never did. And I just knew that Governor Kemp was coming in to whip votes. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He just basically came in and said, hey, guys, you've done a, done a really good job, done a credible job. Thank you. Now the clock ticks. 40 days he has to sign any bill that passed both chambers of the House and the Senate and the General Assembly for them to become law. We'll keep our eyes on all of that. Here's what everybody's watching today, though. Ron DeSantis is in town, y'all. The fawning begins. Uh, 600 or so uh, gathered to listen to him speak at a gun store in Smyrna, Georgia. Just, is there is there never a bad time to show up at a gun store uh, for the Republicans? I mean, 
just on the heels of a yet another. I mean, I guess maybe that's the problem. They have to go to the gun stores. They have to pander to that crowd. And there are so many mass shootings in this country, <laughs> almost one a day, that you can't you can't say, well, we're not going to do that out of respect for the victims because there's so many mass shootings in this country. That's really where we are at this point. There, There is no three-day halo period around a mass shooting before you show up at a gun shop to pander to the gun lobby and the homosexual base of the GOP. So there he was. He also, by the way, went to the state house. He was, he was downtown at the Capitol today where a couple dozen Republicans were there to shake hands and lick boots. Also, by the way, at the Smyrna rally were Trump supporters there to protest Ron the Sanctimonious. Ooh, this is good, y'all. This is, this is good. Go ahead and have the popcorn ready. If DeSantis decides to run for president, I'm telling you, this is going to be better than WWE SmackDown. And by the way, I'm not a wrestling guy, but you know what I mean? It's it's going to be that, that well, actually, this wouldn't be scripted. This wouldn't be fake. It's just going to be that trashy. The, the, the back and forth between Donald Trump and his camp and the DeSantis camp is just going to be chef's kiss. Now, look, maybe I'm just getting a little ahead of myself here. Ron DeSantis was in town for a book tour, book signing, not a campaign stop, a book tour. And by the way, uh, USA Today reports, uh, when did this come out? Was this uh, Monday? Americans opposed seven of eight of the policy initiatives DeSantis spearheaded in Florida, including the six-week abortion ban, hello, Georgia, and prohibiting public colleges and universities from funding programs that promote equity and inclusion, according to a Yahoo YouGov poll. And oddly enough, as more of the nation gets to know Ron DeSantis, including within the Republican Party, the less popular he actually becomes. A Fox News poll released last week showed that Donald Trump has doubled his lead since February, up by 30 points over Ron DeSanctimonious. 54 to 24%. The month prior, he was up by 15 uh, points and under 45% at that point in time. Something else that kind of flew under the radar in recent days. See, Ron DeSantis, he's, he's not having a good week, despite anything you might, you might see in the media today. Uh, the fight that he's had with Disney has <laughs> actually taken another twist this week. According to CNN, the new board that DeSantis handpicked to oversee Disney's special taxing district that he basically took from Walt Disney, uh, announced earlier this week, in fact, yesterday, it is considering legal action over a multi-decade agreement reached between the entertainment giant and the outgoing board in the days before the state's hostile takeover last month. Disney quietly took power from Ron DeSantis' new board before they even got to convene. And under this agreement, according to CNN, quietly approved on February 8th as Florida lawmakers met in special session to hand DeSantis control of the Reedy Creek Improvement District, Disney would maintain control over much of its vast footprint in Central Florida for 30 years. And in some cases, the board can't take significant action without first getting approval from the company. <laughs> Ron DeSantis got hoodooed, y'all. And as Florida taxpayers will find very soon, they're on the hook for way more in the cost of that Reedy Creek district going forward. Great job, Ronnie.
Donald Trump will be beating him up all about that during the GOP primary. King Williams joins me on The Ron Show after this. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. King Williams joins us, uh, Atlanta documentarian, and uh, your new best friend. At least that's how I see you when I, uh, when I see you. Uh, it's all, that's, I don't know, it puts a smile on my face. It's good to see you, uh, King. I appreciate that. When we first met, uh, it was my birthday, actually, and uh, you were doing a segment with uh, 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 Georgia Public Broadcasting that morning, and we're like, hey, man, anybody around for a coffee? And I'm like, you know what? I've been wanting to hang out with this guy, so let's do this. And it was a good time. I appreciated that, by the way. I thank you, man. Thank you. Cause I really do. Uh, I enjoy that. Like, you know, I, I enjoy meeting up with people. I enjoy people taking me up for coffee and like, we had a great conversation. It was a rainy day. It was like an overcast day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, but it was a good conversation. Yeah. Late February in Atlanta, you're going to get overcast cold and or rainy. So, uh, s- uh sunny days in the past. And, uh, mm-hmm. I feel like, uh, it, those of us who are left of center, may, we may have dodged a few bullets because this was this, this, this went from like a, quiet general assembly session to we're going to get nasty to let's try and cram as much crap in as we can at the last minute. And even some Republicans were not on board with some of this stuff, which surprised me. What about you? Uh, I think the most important thing of this session is that it's never over. Uh, <laughs> I do think like Bucket cityhood and like a lot of other deals, I think just because the Republicans have a super majority right now that a lot of the issues that they didn't get passed this year, they can definitely come back tune it up in the off season, come back next January and really be, be rocking. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think for this session, I think like a lot of people, we came off of, a, let's be honest, like a 2022 um, election cycle that we all thought was going to be much bigger than it was. And it turned out to be a, mostly a whimper. Um, the Warnock thing, I think took a lot of like the gas out of like the political agenda for everyone like warnock mm-hmm. beating uh, Herschel walker mm-hmm. and then most state and local politicians just kind of like you know held off buckhead i think kicked it off in february and that kind of came out of nowhere in a lot of regards um and then i think just everyone taking that cycle like let's put in whatever bill we can because we have a super majority all of a sudden kind of kicked things off in the last eight weeks or so of the session this year i don't know if you remember being a kid and getting let's see when i was a kid we would get the big fat sears catalog uh right before christmas <laughs> and mom and daddy would tell us to like circle the stuff we want. And I really feel like in a lot of respects, that's kind of what Republicans were going for this session. Like they got the catalog full of toys and they circled all the stuff they wanted. They just didn't get everything that they wanted. But man, they had a pretty big list. Yeah. And that's the thing I, I, I would be concerned about if everyone else, because they had such a big list this year that. It was almost as if like a lot of those bills just generally weren't good. A lot of the sponsors weren't good. A lot of the verbiage wasn't good, yeah. but they pushed it through anyway. And it was like, we're going to see a lot of bad bills, I think, for the next three or four years. And I think that's going to be what what the future is going to entail. Yeah, you, you bring up a good point. A lot of the stuff that didn't make it this year uh, can, can just come up again next session. And, you know, there's not going to be any, any change of names or, or change of numbers, you know, barring a, a fatality or something like that. Uh, between this, uh, you know, session and next session. So what happens between now and then as far as like Buckhead cityhood or even like, uh, what is it? Lost mountain. Uh, that, that's, that's the, the, the thing in Cobb County now, uh, or, or the school voucher thing. you know, I, I don't, those folks aren't going to give up. They're just going to retreat, lick their wounds and make another go at it next session. Don't you think? Yeah. Um, I think for right now, 
I think for everyone right now, I think the important thing is like Lost Mountain is one of those things where if you are a Republican right now, the next this year, especially going to 2024 because of the presidential election, you have such an opportunity to circumvent even like the traditional powers in the state. And I think that was the thing about Bucket City that was actually more surprising to me than I'm surprised nobody really picked up on, which was that Kemp and even outgoing Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan last year were kind of like, hey, kill this bill. Like, we're not doing this. And then people outside of that jurisdiction, people who weren't Kemp appointees put the bill up anyway. Right. And I do think if I'm Kemp, I got to and even uh, this this year, his charter school push didn't happen. Um, so the, the uh, was SB or HB 233, which mm. defunded public education that mm. actually lost by four votes. And it didn't even get it um, a recall last night, especially during the, the waning hours, especially with Kemp himself having a private door meeting. So I do think what the offseason looks like to answer your question directly is that it's going to be a lot of people using a lot of think tanks to help out their legislation, using a lot of interns uh, during this off-season. And the off-season in Atlanta, like, I'm in Georgia, like other places, nine months. So you have a full nine months now to really curtail your legislation, think about the economic impacts, do your studying, do your surveying, um, get your law enforcement and and your and something like that strategy in place. Like kind of like with some of the abortion bills, you get a lot of those things done in the off-season. So we come back with a bill it's pretty much airtight. And I think for Lost Mountain and some of the other cityhood initiatives and the other things we saw, that's what I expect this year, and especially 2024 uh, with Georgia in play. Ron DeSantis is in uh, the state legislature right now. So I think that that's kind of where we are in this place. Oh, is he at the Gold Dome? I, I just thought he was doing yeah, the so gun store. talking somewhere. right now, he is at uh, the state capitol. Wow. So well, me and <clears> Brian <throat> Kemp taking photos, um, meeting with local press, because I think if you're DeSantis, like everyone else, uh, you're going to need allies both uh, on the federal level, but also like the state level, because I think what we're seeing broadly is like a reshaping of government to where it's now back in state control. And as a person who studies history and, and whose purview is often like black history, like there's a lot of things that can go wrong with that. Okay. But I do think right now, if you're DeSantis, you got to be in North Carolina, you got to be in Georgia, you got to be in Virginia, you got to go to Texas. And we see that now his, his place is already moving. Well, now that you mentioned DeSantis and Kemp huddling up, uh, you know, Brian Kemp uh, told the Wall Street Journal earlier this week he has no 2024 presidential ambitions. Uh, is he kind of showing his hand a little bit and, you know, aligning with DeSantis for, for Ron's possible 2024 run, you think? Uh, I think so. Just the same way Keisha Lance Bottoms, like, paired up with Joe Biden, like, as the first one early on, I think Kemp is doing the same thing. The thing I think we should keep in our back pocket is I don't necessarily think Kemp is the first person for his choice, but um, let's say I think it is going to probably be DeSantis and Haley or DeSantis and some like usually Latino or uh, Asian American woman as his running mate. But there is a scenario which, you know, Brian Kemp's maybe one of the five people on his VP running list, right? Um, he's a soft seat conservative, but he does every single thing Ron DeSantis does. He doesn't get a lot of pushback from local media here. Um, and now he's getting a lot of love from the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. So I kind of want to be in this space, too, when I got to rely on something in Atlanta. I can kind of call Kemp up and Kemp has a, a, a huge finger on the pulse. Well, I wasn't even state politics. I wasn't even thinking about Kemp as a vice presidential pick. I was just thinking more along the lines of Kemp backing DeSantis. But also, uh, you know, eventually John Ossoff's Senate seat is going to come up for reelection. Uh, it's it seemed odd that he's only had to run for the seat he's he has like. Through two election cycles, as opposed to uh, uh, Senator Warnock and his multiple runs. But, uh, you know, Ossoff's coming up, and I have to imagine Brian Kemp might be looking at a Senate run, right? 
Yeah, so that's the thing everyone kind of thinks is that Brian Kemp in 2026 is going to run for the U.S. Senate. And I, I do believe there's a 60-40 chance he wins that race, right? Um, the other one is... Like, wins it outright? Yeah, he wins it outright. Um, like, that's today. I think Kemp is going to run on these next three years of his record. Uh, the fact that he already has favorable local coverage, or no local coverage for that matter, and then favorable national coverage, especially from two of the big three um, newspapers. And now he's a re- he's already a mainstay of Fox News. Ossoff is playing behind the eight ball. The Democrats as a whole are really in a pickle where Democratic voters are kind of like, especially in Georgia, are really just like, we're tired of, of election season. We're tired of you pandering our votes and people want to see like tangible things happen. And they're spaced in a tide of like a lot of the culture wars, right? Because the culture wars, not only do they typically win for conservatives, they also like demoralize Democrats. And if I'm Ossoff, the youngest person in the U.S. Senate, I am severely concerned that Brian Kemp is going to run against me in 2026. Um, and that is something that I think that the Republicans kind of understand is like what's, what's in their back pocket. And especially if like Jeff Duncan or Burt Jones is the GOP nominee in 2026, you have DeSantis as president, Kemp as, um, your U S Senate person and Warnock as your other U S Senate. And then you have a gerrymander supermajority. We have nine Congress persons who are Republican and five democratic, even though it should be seven, seven, um, they're playing, they're playing the long-term game here. And I think that, that Ossoff may be in trouble and he can, unless he can figure it out. Uh, okay. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't dispute that Brian Kemp comes in with a strong hand, but I also, it, maybe this is just my optimism, my, my left wing optimism. I also think John Ossoff's actually been a pretty effective Senator and one who's worked in a bipartisan manner, which I know doesn't mean squat to Republicans when it comes time for deciding who they're going to back. But if, if there is fertile blue and purple ground, uh, to to harvest in in the state of Georgia, then would he not? You think be able to put together a coalition of independents and Democrats that would put him over the top, even against a Brian Kemp? No, um, I think the oh, thing that wow, I mean, you just like no, didn't no. even think about it. The only person Brian Kemp generally has to worry about is Raphael Warnock, and I think that it was smart to be like, you know, I'm going to run for 2026 the senator, and maybe as president, if DeSantis doesn't pull it out in 2028, right? Mm. Um, but there is no way, like. There's Kemp versus Warnock is a race that neither one of them really want to race, but the advantage is Warnock. The difference is with Warnock, I'm sorry, with Ossoff and and Kemp is that the independents that I think people think about in Georgia aren't really there. What we really do have is like a red or a blue. I think Georgia's not a purple state. It's a really much a red or a blue state. And just Herschel Walker's like indiscretions are really what put people over either by not voting or just voting for Warnock. And he still got like 48%. Right. And he got very close, right? So I think that with Ossoff, the moderates that you're seeking will also alienate the people that you really need, which are young people and likely progressive voters. And little things can kind of breadcrumb. And I think that especially now with a lot more leftists online, just having the microphone and really amplifying every little detail um, about candidates, making effectively like potential young voters or potential like more uh, progressive or, le- or leftist leaning voters just not participate is a real problem for all stuff like it is for the other Democrats as a whole. We're on with Atlanta-based journalist and documentarian King Williams. Uh, thank you for joining us, uh, King. Why do you why do you think that there is any animosity or a letdown on the progressive left with John Ossoff? Uh, it's not there right now, uh, but I do think it's just in general like it's not there now, and I think that's important, right? So okay. like, it's just in general, just eh, whatever he he wanted. Cool, we didn't have Herschel Walker or Kelly Loeffler or. David Perdue, yeah. right? Right. Um, 
And I think that was both of their saving graces. I do think that they, there's some things they need to tighten up on. With Ossoff, though, I will say he's done one thing well, which is he's tried to be a, a, as much as every Black voter block event as possible. And I think that's fine. But he also needs to make sure he's tapping in regularly before the election season with the Black media spaces here, because I think they're going to be people who push him over. Um, as well as like, and I know this is going to be a group that we never talk about, but also um, Asian Americans who really came out for him in 2017 when he lost and then came out for him again in 2020. So I do think he needs to really play hard into those groups. But the progressives as a whole right now, there's really nothing to to get him on outside. Of, I think he made a, a general statement about cop cities that we condemn the violence, which is like standard Democratic procedure. And I think that he just needs to be careful that he doesn't get caught up too much into like that standard Democratic procedure. Ooh, good segue. Let's do talk cop city. Uh, let's put a pin in it and come back after the break. We'll talk uh, not just to Ossoff and cop city, but cop city in general. And some of the other bills that did and didn't make it through the uh, General Assembly session uh, at midnight last night. We're on with King Williams, Atlanta-based journalist, documentarian, podcaster, smart guy. We could even talk sports. We will not do that. Ron Show back after this. (laughs) Hey, don't just listen to The Ron Show. Support The Ron Show. If you and your business would like to have your advertising done on this show, you know, it's pretty easy. You can drop me an email, ron at ronshowetl.com. You can also call me anytime you like. 404-919-2725. You can also just be a listener if you don't have a business. I mean, that would be most of you, right? Follow us on your preferred podcast platform by following any of the links we've got provided for you there on the podcast tab at ronshowatl.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, links there for you as well. Welcome back to the Ron Show for Thursday. I don't know about y'all, but uh, I slept in a little bit this morning. Into the Georgia General Assembly coming at midnight last night. A lot of stuff coming down to the wire. And yeah, like a geek, I was sitting there watching a lot of this on YouTube. Uh, King Williams is an Atlanta-based journalist, documentarian, podcaster. This guy knows a lot about Georgia politics and Atlanta and history and even sports. We could talk. Uh, He and I, in fact, we did get together uh, on my birthday, actually, and uh, had some coffee and just talked for like an hour and a half, two hours, and said, got to get you on the show. Finally, we got this together and here he is with me to talk uh, at length about a few different things before we left for break actually we were talking a little bit about uh john ossoff weighing in somewhat on cop city which makes me think about cop city in general it's been somewhat surprising for me anyway that there hasn't been a whole lot of pushback on cop city from mainstream democrats in fact here at the local level it seems as if there's a lot of complicity can you explain that yeah and i think that this is this is obviously like a strategic thing um, to your point. I think the democratic party of Georgia as a whole has understood that we have lost the culture war. And if we come out doing anything that is relatively critical of the police, even though it may be actually valid and probably correct, that we're going to automatically be painted as like defund the police, abolish the police. These people are radicals. They hate law enforcement. And when you have a supermajority in state government and you have a U.S. Congress now, who's kind of probably not going to get anything done for a minute because they yeah. don't have the number number of votes in the Senate. Mm-hmm. They just know they can't win that game. So what it is, is to placate the police in this area by effectively doing nothing. Um, and then also, too, law enforcement in Atlanta is very different in the sense that these people are mostly Democrats, right? They're like the police officers, people who vote are Democrats. Like, right. And I know people are really kind of surprised by that because they're like, you know, police are across the nation are typically like more Republican GOP leaning. But this is, a, for the most part, a Democratic police force. And you can't push in the same ways as you did and the way Erica Shields, the previous um, police chief, and even a lot of things she did was great. Like, I think we kind of forget that in the haze of everything over the last four years is that 
those efforts for the most part are also being used as a positioning of cop city, which is better police training, better community engagement, um, housing for officers, officers in the city, which are things that usually Democrats supporting people have I, always pushed. And I was getting. just going to say, yeah, those yeah. are individual topics that I think we would all find common ground with. Right. And that's why you can't push against cop city. The only <clears> thing you can push against is like outside agitators and violence, which is what they're doing. Right. The problem is, though, online and and local media, uh, conservatives in general just kind of lump them all into one thing. Like these, this group of people hate cops and they hate America and they hate order and law, which is the thing that Democrats really don't have an adequate response to. I think Andre Dickens and his team um, have figured out an adequate response, which is we, we're going to play our hand in this regard. We understand what the criticisms are and we actually, behind the scenes, think that there are valid, right? But we'll do a couple of other things to sit, the, 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 the city is going to happen. Cop city is going to happen. Mm. But they're going to do a lot more like community-based engagement, community-based police things, and a lot more other things for like even the task force that, force that they're doing. Like no other police station in America has like a task force to see how they can be better involved and better partners, right? right. They're going to go above and beyond with things that mostly centrist Dems like. And then also for older Black people who live in that area who have legitimate concerns about not having that facility in their community. But um, if he starts to lean more into that, and especially about the environmental issues around Cop City as well, uh, people are going to be okay with it. And while the activists may still be there, what, I see this happening already in real time in a smaller amount. Mm-hmm. You're going to start seeing more people turn against the activists now and say, hey, we don't want to be like Portland. Uh, we're not mm-hmm. these radical people. And I see this enough with Black people I talk to in real life and I see online. They're like, hey, this ain't like us. This ain't Atlanta. There's one particular... A uh, person I know who's very active in the Atlanta political community, He's who's an actual representative, um, and who straight up was like, you know, those people don't represent us. Um, and if something were to go, like, for real wrong with the police, I would obviously be on the side with the people, not the police, but, like, these people don't represent Atlanta, right? And I think that you're seeing that real time, and I think once you start seeing more younger Black lawmakers, especially those, like, between 30 and 40 start doing it, you see a couple more, like, your Atlanta Black figureheads start doing it. Yeah. I think Cop City is just going to be that, where it's like, we now we want Cop City because we don't want you guys here. And that's and I think Dickens is playing that right. He's playing the long game on that one. I, I You know what? I, I like the way you frame that. I've kind of given Mayor Dickens a, a good solid B-plus you know, report card you know, for his term so far. If there is the one knock to me, I think I think he's mishandled Cop City in a, lot of, in a lot of ways. Recently now, the task force, I think that's all positive stuff. But I feel like he could have stemmed a lot of this sooner by uh, inviting for an open dialogue with the protest movement. And then if it turns out that they are just not folks you can dialogue with, that there's just no movement one way or the other, that they just will not listen to reason, then you went over everyone else on the periphery who just isn't sure how to feel about this one way or the other. And then it becomes an overwhelming okay, these are completely outside agitators. You can't even talk with them to reason with them. And so we're completely behind our mayor on this. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think that's part of like their larger strategy. And again, there are some general things wrong about Cop City, one of which is the land allotment that was presented versus what the what the police actually have. So it's supposed to be 85 acres, but the actual land allotment right now is 175 acres, right? Yeah. Um, and the site itself as a whole is 350 acres. So police effectively have half of the space there. The other one is just like the terms of the deal. You have $50, I mean, $10 a year for 50 years on a land deal in the space that's in, that could be honestly worth a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. So that uh, the other one is too, just the environmental concerns about the project itself in terms of it putting 
new pollutants into the sediment. There's no preservation for the Atlanta public library spaces that are there or anything related to Zoo Atlanta or anything related to the history of the Atlanta uh, prison farm, which is the former plantation. Right. And those preservation buildings, there's not even a plan right now to deal with the environmental waste on the rest of the site. Right. But the police get the best part of the land mm-hmm. and the best part of the acreage and they don't have to concern about anything. There's also not a plan I think Dickens should be addressing, which is people are already complaining. There was articles today in the AJC. People are already complaining about the noise from just the helicopters uh, patrolling every single night, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then the police cars and air. What is going to be your plan? This is going to take a good six months to a year to build. Like, how are you addressing those issues? Because once you got a full year to build this out, then you got another full year of probably protesters uh, for a full year, like, cop city in chicago has six years of protest which is something i think they haven't thought about and then your site is stuff you're going to have live tactical rounds within you're about two thousand feet away from an actual high school all black high school at that mm-hmm. and then you're going to have a burn building which is 10 stories hard the, the tallest building in that particular zip code at that point and that's going to be like emitting fire into that community as well mm-hmm. plus all the other people who are illegally dumping into the river that cuts through cop city and all the people who have legal and illegal dumps in the area who've been wanting the city of Atlanta and DeKalb County to address it, who still haven't. So if and I'm there's, dick- there's also going to be like a, like a, like a road course, right. For like active, like police chase drills. Right. Yeah. So that's that's, that's gonna not, be inside there. that's not going to be quiet either. No, like none of those things are, are not going to be quiet. And it's the thing, like it's legitimate noise pollution. This is the thing that people like kind of get mad at environmentalists and call them weird hippies about, but this place is, it's already noisy in that space. And it's about to be a lot noisier. Um, and that's one of the things I think if I'm Dickens, I got to address all these peripheral issues. They haven't, though. But the moment people start picking on these peripheral issues, they got to also be concerned that, hey, this could also fall apart, too. Uh, and I think that that plays into a larger issue, which is Dickens. I, I do agree. Which I think B plus is probably like the rating most people give him in Atlanta right now, uh, minus Cop City. Because most people, they feel better about Atlanta right now. They feel for the most part better about the leadership. They feel like police. They feel like people are filling potholes picking up things um dickens has a plan for homelessness right now but like that hasn't fully come to fruition um the jail thing is one of the things that people are also going to get behind too because everyone feels like it's the purge outside with crime even though even dickens has said and put out repeatedly like crime is down again in 2023 so far or will we get through the rest of the year um by double digit percentages in every category this is something me and you talked about offline about this but crime in 2020 was down from 2019 and down in 2021 compared to 2020 and down in 22 compared to 2021 and 2020 right but people feel as if it's going like off the rails but when you look at it who was the guy um around andre dickens so if i'm andre dickens if i can just get cop city in my narrative and my overall positioning right people are going to love me forever and i'm not only am i running again and 2025 i'm running again with a lot more atlanta support right he won with a lot of people who voted for him in the runoff but he comes in with a new renewed focus uh he may or may not get the dnc we'll know in a couple weeks in 2024 uh but this is your guy and i think that right now we're seeing the actual dickens become because the first year was pretty much a a love fest for him for a lot of people right and this is his first real real tough battle he for the most part he's been relatively like steady um, and I think that that's something that we haven't seen in a while outside of Kasim Reed, which is a different kind of study. But we do see a steadying of, OK, he was always known as the nice guy, city councilor guy. And then he's like been the neighborhood guy his first year. And now he's like Mayor Dickens, like he's actually coming to it. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing play out in real time. He, he also has the luxury of having a better relationship with the governor uh, for whatever reason. 
you know, Keisha Lance Bottoms and Brian Kemp could never see eye to eye. They they could even when they agreed on something, it, it was like they were, you know, swallowing arsenic to to, to say it. Uh, so I, I think he benefits from that. He I think he has learned the art of the press conference. He knows that you know getting out in front of the media and having a press conference is beneficial to him. Uh, I, I know that you know your your documentary that you've been working on for so long focuses a lot on gentrification in and around Atlanta. So let's talk a little bit about that. There is uh, some consideration to freezing property taxes for some of Atlanta's lowest income property owners for the next 20 years. Uh, your thoughts on that? Yes and no. Uh, I'm not necessarily for a property tax freeze. The reason being, and there's some, some aspects of this. Uh, we learned this from California, one of which is even for good reason, people just live longer. Great. That is a great thing. But if the property is in, let's say, my mom's name, right? And she lives here for 20 years, her property tax are frozen. Um, what that does, do we want to keep her in place? I think it should be a gradual thing versus an outright freeze. So let's say it's like 1% a year every year for 20 years, right? So if it was $1,000, it's $1,010 next year, right? Like a slow moving pro- progress versus an outright freeze. Because we saw what happened in California is those people then came back, got the law extended basically for life. Then they had their kids move in. The properties were still in the name while they were alive. They did all these renovations. They, you know, got the house up to X number of millions of dollars and then they sold it. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of times those places didn't get the, the, the municipalities had to wait until the place was sold to even get some taxes on that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think we don't want to see people cheating the system. And I think that that's something that we kind of need to think about. Okay. While I do want them there, I do think it should be a gradual rate and we should actually spell it out for people to show them this, what it looks like in year one and year 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also let them know, like, if something changes on your tax form, you have to pull it in uh, every year to file your uh, federal state tax form so we can see how much you're reporting. Um, and we'll audit that. And so if, obviously, if you hit the lottery or you made a lot more money than this, we're going to have to tax it on that because we can't we can't do that. Right. And I think that, right. that, that's a start. That's a start. <clears throat> Does the city have that sort of uh, infrastructure in place? They to- could. Um, but we don't have the people. We we need to hire more people. The That's, yeah, that was my we have to hire more people. So the other thing that I wanted to ask you about uh, HB four hundred four uh, provided for some landlord accountability to at least <laughs> create some standards of minimum livability. Why did that not? Why did? Why was that not universally acceptable in the general assembly? And why is that not sitting on uh, Governor Kemp's desk to be signed? Uh, I don't think that that was ever going to work. Um, and the reason being, I don't think that was going to work is because if I'm a landlord, my incentive is to make money. Kemp himself is a landlord. Yeah. And I do think when you, if you're trying to put more restrictions on, on land, um, I think that that's just going to always be a loss loss in Georgia. So, and I'm thinking about as a landlord, not as a person, but like as a landlord, oh, okay, I got to c- comply with all these new rules, these new regulations. And I have to do all these like things. I, I, I don't want to do that. And I can see a lot of, places and a lot of landlords just pushing back on that really easily and taking it to court costs in the state and local governments tens of thousands or millions of dollars and i just could see why they, they said no but shouldn't landlords have to if you're gonna if you're gonna rent something out it should have to meet some minimum livability criteria right i agree with you like in this like <laughs> i said the person of me versus like um where they were going with this. And I do think what they're going to say is, oh, we have building codes and or your county has local code enforcement. If you feel that bad, go to local code enforcement. That already exists. We're not going to create more government to do that. Um, or just make your, your your local municipality have a better standard of development in the first place. 
And I can see how that pushback would kind of work. Um, it's not something I'm against, but I, I can just understand the opposition. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, uh, I'm running a little low on time here with uh, with Zoom, but uh, let's real quick. School voucher bill didn't pass. That seems to be a good thing, but they'll come back for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised. I think everyone thought it was, but um, the school voucher bill expected to come back. And I think we could see the long term defunding of education and the reshaping of American society, as we know, with this voucher movement. Yeah, that's that's pretty scary stuff. All right. Well, listen, I've got like literally seconds left, but uh, I appreciate the time. King Williams, again, local Atlanta based journalist, documentarian, and I appreciate the time. Let's get you back on the show soon. Okay. All right. Thank you. King, by the way, uh, has a uh, documentary. It's kind of a work in progress, but it's called The Atlanta Way. Look for The Atlanta Way at The Atlanta Way on Twitter. You can uh, find him as well at K Williams Show, The King Williams Show. Also at Watch the Hood. He is a Fantastic follow on Twitter. If you look for him, I am King Williams. And you'll see his friendly face and the headline, your new best friend. He'll be your new best friend on Twitter. And who couldn't use a new best friend on Twitter? We have so many enemies on Twitter already, right? One more segment. We wrap up the show after this. Welcome back to The Ron Show, the final segment. Thursday afternoon. Pretty nice and sunny here. It's a shame the Braves didn't have opening day here. 30 degrees warmer, but I mean, they had sunny conditions in D.C. In fact, I was watching the game. Well, you know, well, of course, paying more attention to doing this show and uh, all of the stands behind the first and third baseline of home plate, they were all in the shadows. And when you're it's sunny and it's 50 degrees, but you're in the shadows, it's like 38. Bless those fans. Well, those that were there, I think most of the folks in the outfield seat stuck around, but the folks in the shadows, they were yeah. Maybe they moved to the outfield. Anyway, the Braves got the win. That's not what you came here for, though. You came here for a discussion, a hearty discussion about Jordan and Atlanta politics. And I want to thank uh, King Williams for joining us for the last two segments. If you missed any of that, uh, obviously, we'll have this on the podcast platform. So you can catch it on your preferred podcast platform. And the links to all those podcasts uh, availabilities at ronshowatl.com. You can just listen to today's show from ronshowatl.com on the podcast page, as a matter of fact. Ron DeSantis in town today, giving you the greatest hits of MAGA-land. Although, there were Trump MAGA supporters out there protesting outside the gun store in Smyrna. That I'm sorry, it was a book tour, not a campaign stop. A book tour stop uh, that uh, the Trump supporters were outside picketing against Ron DeSantis, which I don't understand because he's speaking to their language. And I really believe if it wasn't for states like Georgia and Florida... People like Fauci would have won. You would have had all this happen throughout the entire country. They wanted to do rolling lockdowns. You know, China was just doing lockdowns a couple months ago uh, for, for this. It's insane what they wanted to do. They wanted to use this to exercise control. So what did we do in Florida to serve as the roadblock for this? We were one of the first, if not the first states in the country to ban any COVID shot mandates for school children. We are not going to have this mandated. Yeah, lovely talking point, except for the fact that Florida was 13th in the nation in COVID fatalities per capita. Georgia, by the way, 15th. And before you go giving me the population thing, remember, we're talking per capita. Florida 13th, Georgia 15th. Well worse than the District of Columbia, a lot worse than... Colorado, California, Minnesota, Maryland, Illinois, and Massachusetts, New York, 
Yeah, all of these states fared better in COVID casualties per capita than Georgia and Florida. Some other red meat he lobbed. And I just think that, you know, we've talked a lot, but I think we need to get serious and finally build a wall along the southern border. Needs yeah. to be done. Oh. Uh, we, we, we did that under Trump, and yet, as you guys famously point out, it hasn't stopped the flow of asylum seekers and refugees at our southern border. So why are we doubling down on a physical wall policy that obviously did not hold? Uh, the Atlanta Voice tweeting from the DeSantis stop, uh, his thoughts on critical race theory. You're not going to teach our kids to hate this country. What kind of message is that sending to a six-year-old kid? First of all, who is teaching a six-year-old kid anything with regards to systemic racism, housing bias, hiring bias, judicial bias, law enforcement bias? I mean, listen, it's been a while since I was six years old, but I kind of remember my six-year-old, I was in first grade, curriculum. I We, we never, we, there, there was no history class in first grade. Miss, Miss Toland did not teach us history at Grovetown Elementary School. I, there are things that I do and don't remember about first grade, but I'm pretty damn sure we didn't have history class in first grade uh, in Miss Tolan's class at Grovetown Elementary School. Hell, I couldn't, I was a left-handed kid. I couldn't figure out how to use scissors. Y- you think I'm, I'm going to know about the civil rights movement, the, the march on Selma to Montgomery, the Martin Luther King, I have a dream speech in first grade. I, I couldn't figure out scissors. And this notion of uh, hating our country is just insanity. There's a lot that we all know about this nation that we're not going to run around bragging about, but we don't hate our country because of the genocide of the Native American. It saddens us. It is awful. It's something that maybe we should look to learn from, but it doesn't make me hate my country. Our long and storied history, in fact, it's in our DNA. Let's just be honest. We were a founding country with slavery as part of its economy. And our forefathers didn't touch slavery because they couldn't get the Constitution ratified by Southern states if they sought to limit it. Not just get rid of it, but even to limit it. That's just known history. That's not hating this country. Politicians like DeSantis and the Republican Party, the conservative movement in general, don't want any exploration academically into all the biases that I spoke about before, judicial, law enforcement, housing, hiring, the various disparities economically that exist and why they exist. They're not theories. They're known facts. We know why these disparities exist. The problem is there's no appetite outside of the left wing to address them substantively. My belief is the GOP is fearful that young minds will figure out, well, well, this stuff that they were saying back in the day sounds a lot like stuff that we're hearing today. And then they connect the dots and go, well, I want no part of that. A lot like the Parkland shooting surviving generation of school kids wants no part of the gun fetishism in the NRA right now. Ah, I digress. Before we go, it is Women's History Month. Today's uh, impactful woman in history on this day, Mary Elizabeth Bowser, born today in 1839. A former slave, Bowser served as an undercover agent for Ulysses S. Grant by working as a servant in the home of Confederate President Jefferson Davis. 
damn, Mary Elizabeth Bowser, you are a hero. With the social prejudice of the day, the assumption that slaves were illiterate and not intelligent, and the way slave servants were trained to seem invisible, Mary was able to glean considerable military intelligence by simply doing her job. Where is her statue? That's it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americawoneradio.com. Podcast links, ronshowatl.com.